Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts chapter 6. While I do plan to read the whole chapter, it's not extremely long, uh, I will be talking primarily today about this man, Stephen. Now, if you've been around church or you are familiar with the New Testament, you will know about Stephen. Uh, Stephen is the first what of the church? The first martyr of the Christian church. And so, it's kind of like we're standing on holy ground when you go study the person of Stephen. Uh, Next Sunday, the plan is to cover a large passage, his entire sermon, which is the longest message given in the book of Acts. Uh, It covers, I think, 50-plus verses. So next Sunday, we've got a long passage to cover. But today, another brief passage as we kind of zero in on this man, Stephen. Who was this man? When you were a child, uh, you may have had a hero. Did you have a hero when you were a child? Maybe it was an athlete. Maybe it was a celebrity, which is not always the best hero. Uh, maybe it was, um, you know, a, a comic book character or some kind of movie character. But there was someone that you just admired and maybe you even dressed up like them. I won't ask for any photographic evidence if that is true when you were a child. But then as you even get older, maybe in high school, if you played sports, you might have had particular people that you looked up to, an incredible baseball player or basketball or football player, if you played one of those sports, and you would admire this person. You'd watch their games, you'd record it and rewatch parts of it, and you'd go back and watch footage of those games because you wanted to be like that person that you greatly esteemed. Now, does it matter who our heroes are in this life? Yes, it does. And there are godly heroes and there are ungodly heroes. If you look at our culture, just go look at the news headlines, you know. Do we see a lot of noble characters here on display? Sadly, no. But the world oftentimes has its eyes averted to those who are, what, wealthy, attractive, famous, uh, unbelievably powerful or wealthy or rich. Well, the New Testament, and particularly in Acts, our eyes are drawn to noble characters. Now, before I go any further, I want to be very clear of something. Stephen is not a hero in and of himself, and he's not a flawless man. In fact, Stephen had a Savior named Jesus that we will discuss. He he understood the gospel. He understood he was a sinner who was saved by God's great grace and mercy in his life. But it is still legitimate to speak of people who are worthy of admiration and worthy of emulation in the Christian life. And the book of Hebrews says, consider those whose outcome of faith is, you know, wonderful and to imitate their faith, to follow along in their footsteps. Uh, Also, when we think about Christian biography, we have examples of Christians who have stood the test of time and we are able to read about them and hear about them and see how they faced difficulty and overcame adversity and continued to trust in the Lord. Well, Stephen is one of these people, and I'm titling the sermon, Stephen, A Portrait of the First Christian Martyr. A Portrait of the First Christian Martyr. And I'm just going to sort of at first walk through the text, and then we will look at a number of points that I would like to draw out about Stephen. I may overwhelm you with points today, more than normal, okay? So, just a lot of points to kind of pick up about what made Stephen the man that he became. All right, the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 6 starting in verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, who is, who is Stephen? Well, let, let me just tick through a, a list of things here. Uh, we get these little one-word depictions of his life, and I'll start, start with the, I'll kind of go out of order, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. Full of grace and power. Let's start with that word grace. Hold your spot here and flip to the right to Colossians chapter 4. I love this short little passage. Colossians chapter 4. Paul here speaks about graciousness, and you get a sense, perhaps a little sample of what Stephen must have been like. Colossians chapter 4. Uh, look with me at verses 4 through 6. A lot packed into these brief words. Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which account I am in prison and that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, you see here what is called for by Paul and similar to Jesus' words about being the salt of the earth. Our speech is to be always gracious and seasoned with salt. 
Do you remember Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that you might give grace, literal translation, that you may give grace to those who hear. Stephen would have been a man who was full of grace, which means if you got lunch with Stephen, Stephen would probably show a lot of interest in you. He would care about you. He would love you as a person, and he would be interested in you. He would also want to talk about spiritual things. He would want to bring up the things of the Lord. And gracious words seasoned with salt would have been pouring forth from Stephen's mouth. Paul says we must be able to discern when a word is gracious and well-timed and when a word is not and it's going to be corrupting. Sometimes a more direct or even harsh word is loving and sometimes a more direct and harsh word may be not loving and we need discernment to know how and when to use the, the language that we use. But Stephen's words were overflowing with graciousness and they were seasoned with salt. You can turn with me back to Acts. I've got a fair number of cross-references today with our short passage. Number two, he was filled with power, verse 8 says. He was filled with power. Now, up to this point, the apostles are the ones doing signs and wonders, which validates that they are speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ, words of God. Well, Stephen himself, although not an apostle, is given the great grace to do these signs and wonders, these miracles as well in this early church era, and Stephen is doing those things alongside the apostles. Look at the third thing about his character, verse 5 of chapter 6. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's a man full of faith. Now, a cross-reference again. You don't have to turn here this time, but if you listen to these words, listen to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses three, uh, 3 through 5. Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring." What does that mean? Well, that means a sign of a healthy church or a healthy Christian is that our faith in the Lord and His promises is growing no matter the circumstances. With what Jerry just mentioned, you can think, right? They are undergoing, the Thessalonians were undergoing persecution, and yet their faith was steadfast and abounding. It was getting stronger. They were, they were holding on to the Lord more tightly in the midst of their difficult circumstances. Now, is Stephen about to face some challenging circumstances? Yes. He's going to face circumstances that probably very few or any of us in this room will experience in this life, although you never know what may happen. And Stephen is facing the Sanhedrin who want him to be killed, just as they killed the Lord Jesus, and his faith in the Lord is doing nothing but growing in the midst of his challenging trials. We're also told he is full of the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 5, we're told to be, literally, to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, continually drinking in the Holy Spirit, constantly searching out and seeking the Holy Spirit. I know I mention this passage several times every year, but Jesus says in Luke's gospel, which of you who has a son who asks for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. He says, listen, if you who are evil, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> if you who are evil, he just straight honest about that, we are evil. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And Stephen must have been asking the Father for the Spirit continually, because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say again, we are a little bit unusual language perhaps, but we are baptized into the Spirit at our conversion, right? That's the language of 1 Corinthians 12. You were baptized by one Spirit into Christ, into the body. Jesus baptizes not with water, but with the Spirit. We're baptized into the Holy Spirit at conversion. That's not to be confused with water baptism, which represents that reality. We're baptized into the Holy Spirit, but then after that, we can be filled with the Spirit continually and repeatedly and not just can we, we must. We must be like Stephen in this. We must seek the presence of the Spirit and the continual filling of the Spirit. We must obey Paul's command to be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. Also, we're told in verse 3, look here, uh, that Stephen was full of wisdom. Pick out brothers from among you, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And look again, look also at verse 10. So some people rose up to dispute with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Proverbs says if we call out for wisdom and we seek God's discernment, we will find it. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, his protege, Paul knows, by the way, when he's writing a letter that there's always going to be some difficult parts to his letter because it's Paul. Okay, can I get an amen, Paul? Sometimes there are some things hard to understand. Second Peter, remember, even Peter is acknowledging when I read Paul, sometimes I have to think through it. It's a little difficult. But Paul says in 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 1, verse 7, he says, think, maybe 2, verse 7, he says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say. Paul knows his letters take thinking. Think over what I say. That involves an active mind and probably a cup of coffee. Okay, can we just be honest? Do you need the cup of coffee to, get, to kind of get the mind going? You're, you're sitting there with your Bible trying to understand Romans. Okay, you're reading through it for the 10th time, and you're like, I don't quite know that I'm getting everything. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. What that means is the Lord gives us understanding, not by us sort of sitting back and waiting for just like some kind of, you know, vision in the sky. No, He gives us understanding through our active mind being engaged with the text of Scripture. We choose to deliberately think over the text of Scripture, and in that process, the Lord gives us understanding. He gives us wisdom. And Stephen was full of wisdom. He was a man who had great understanding and as you know, the book of Proverbs is all about gaining and acquiring wisdom. And so, that is a great book to camp out in uh, if we want to grow in our own wisdom. All right, so there, there were five things right there that Stephen had in fullness, but our list has only begun. Are you ready? We're going to pick it up now, okay? So, Stephen was full of grace, power, faith, the Spirit, and wisdom. Number two, 
Stephen had six things. Are you ready? Six things. Number one, Stephen had a passion for his local church. You may be thinking, I, I don't see that in the text. Where is that at? Well, it, it is just assumed all over his story. What, what is he doing? He has volunteered to serve greatly in his local church. Remember, all the church members went out looking for seven men who qualified, and they picked Stephen, which means Stephen was committed to his local church in Jerusalem. Was it First Baptist Jerusalem? I don't know. But it, he, he was committed to his local church. Probably not First Baptist, but he, he was committed to his local church in Jerusalem. Number two, he had a love of believers... I love this, who were of low standing. He had a love of believers who were of low standing. And let me just flip real quick. You don't have to turn here. I love this verse from Romans 12. L listen to Romans 12, 16. Well, I'll start a little early just so you can get the flavor of this. Bless those who persecute you. Stephen will do that. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Now listen to this. Do not be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Well, what's the opposite of arrogance? But associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Did Stephen associate with the lowly in his church? What was his job that he was picked for? Serving the neglected Greek-speaking minority group of widows in the church. If you weren't here last week, just real quick, the, the debate that was going on in chapter 6 was you had about, let's guessing here, 80 to 90 percent of the widows in Jerusalem were not just Jewish, they were all Jewish, but they were uh, Hebraic. They, they spoke Aramaic, they, they were very into the culture of the, of the time, the Jewish culture. About 10 to 20% of the widows, from what we can tell, were Greek-speaking widows as their primary language, and they were more from the Hellenistic Greek culture. And so, these seven men who are chosen to help out, they all have Greek names, which indicates that they're from that smaller group, and they all go serve these neglected Greek-speaking widows. You know what that means? That means Stephen was chosen by the group to be the one who would look after the lowly. The most neglected group of people in the church at this moment were Hellenistic Greek-speaking widows. That was the most neglected group in the church from what we can tell, which is tragic. And so they go, we got to find just seven people out of 10,000, seven people who we know could take care of the neglected widows. Stephen is at the top of the list, the first of the seven mentioned by name. So Stephen wasn't just passionate about his local church, he was passionate about the people in low standing in his local church. He cared about the lowest. He cared about those who were neglected, those who were not spoken to, those who felt like they were outside of the center circle, those who felt like they were on the periphery, those who did not feel like they were the center of attention or that they were fully known and loved as they should have been. And the crowd looks around and says, who can take care of this? Who can deal with this? I know, Stephen. Stephen had a love for those of low standing it reminds me of a story. Um, Don Carson grew up in Canada. Between French speaking and uh, other languages they were speaking in the, in the area at the time, uh, I think there was English as well. But he was up there with his dad, who was a, a pastor of a very small church, Tom Carson. And Don came home and was talking to his mom, trying to get some advice on what to do 
uh, at his local, I think it was some kind of, it was a youth group or some kind of thing like that, some kind of church event, and he just felt like he wasn't really getting to know people, didn't know what to do, and his mom said, Don, next time you go to that event, next Wednesday or whatever day it was, when, next Wednesday when you go to the event, I want you to find the person in the room who has the least friends, the person who feels the most out of place, may even feel awkward and doesn't really know how to sort of get hooked in, plugged in to this group. I want you to go up to that person, introduce yourself, and get to know them and ask them a lot of questions about themselves and just pour yourself into that person. And after you've gotten to know that person, then go find the second person who seems as off into the corner and they feel embarrassed or awkward and go after them, pursue them, love them, talk to them, uh, get to know them. And Don says he took his mother's advice, and he says his mom was always full of good advice, but he said they took her advice, and he did it, and he said it just absolutely changed everything for him as being part of that group back decades ago in Canada. That's the kind of man Stephen was, and we should be like him. Number three, Stephen had a profound knowledge of Scripture. Stephen had a profound knowledge of of Scripture. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 4, the older apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy half his age, probably, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. We know that verse. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Timothy, what should you do? You should devote yourself to the reading, the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because we need a growing knowledge of God's Word. Stephen, you say, how do you know he had a profound knowledge of Scripture? Have you ever read chapter 7? Get this, Stephen has no time to prepare his message, you know. I had all week. <laughs> I had weeks to think about this message. Stephen had no time. Stephen gets taken by force. They grab him. They bring him before the infamous Sanhedrin. Remember that group, the 71? And he's got all these elites in front of him, and they hate him, and they want him and people like him out of the way. And they say, Stephen, you have been blaspheming the temple, and you've been blaspheming the law of Moses. What do you have to say for yourself? And Stephen opens his mouth and for we have your, this is probably actually a shortened version, 50 plus verses of telling the Old Testament. And next Sunday we will zero in on this for the whole sermon, but Stephen just opens up the entire Scripture of the Old Testament, starting way back with Abraham and moving all the way through Joseph and Moses and on through David and Solomon up into Isaiah. He unpacks all these facets of the Scripture and then applies it to the question he was asked. It is a brilliant, incredible, sweeping sermon. And you know how that happened? That came from, no doubt, many, many years. Even before he was Christian, he would have no doubt gone to synagogue. We hear about the synagogue. And he would have heard every Sabbath the Scripture read from the Old Testament. And then when he became a Christian, there was all the more Scripture to be read and to see how it is fulfilled in Jesus I could really be ridiculous about the reading plan right now. I'm not trying to guilt anyone. You don't have to do it. Hear that. But I would say, if you're not accustomed to regularly reading the Bible, if you do not regularly read the Bible, then I would strongly encourage you 
to grab one of these sheets of paper on the way out the door with the Bible plan on it and to just start and, and just, just keep up two chapters a day and pray over the Word and, and work through it because I'm telling you, you over time, there's a, there's a cumulative effect of Scripture that happens with us. And Stephen, over much time, had developed a profound knowledge of Scripture, and it was used to guide his life and also his teaching when he was able to speak with others. I can't move on just yet. We're talking about reading. If you're not in the habit of reading, well, let me tell you something, okay, here. I, I, I spent most of my life hating to read. When I was in middle school, elementary school, high school, I hated reading. I hated books. My, my dad, during the summer, I would be like, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. I'd be walking around the house, you know, and my, my dad would be reading something probably, and he would say, why don't you read a book? And I would just laugh. I'd like, ah, that is ridiculous. I'm not going to sit down and read a book. So I, I did not come from a, a passionate, uh, people tried to get me a, to be a reader. I just was not. And when I became a believer, uh, not overnight, but, but there became a desire within me to want to read, and suddenly I, I wanted to buy good, solid Christian books and to work through them. And I would just say, if, if you're not in the habit of, of reading solid Christian books, this can be the time and this can be the new year, right? We'll, we'll do a New Year's resolution. You're like, please don't. Uh, we, we, we can, we can, this can be the time where we, we make a deliberate decision to say, let's do a little less social media this year and a little bit more books. Can, can we, that would be a good yeah, okay, I'm saying maybe not for every single, but probably for pretty much all of us. We could say a little less, maybe a lot less social media. You know, the Twitter scrolling is, is, uh, it has some value, I guess. And then on the other side, books. L let's, let's make it a priority. Pick a book, a solid Christian book. Get J.I. Packer's Knowing God or R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. If you haven't read one of those or John Piper's Desiring God, just take one of those books and sit down and say, okay, I'm just going to work through a few pages a day. I'm going to work through, if you're a slow reader, I'm a slow reader. If you're a slow reader, just say, I'm going to read five pages a, a night before bed. I'm going to read five pages a night of a solid book, and I'm just going to work through it. And if I don't understand it, I'll read it twice. I'll read it three, twi three, three times. I'll try to get it into my mind. And then go, and you'll, you'll look back in six months, and you'll have read several large books. And you'll be like, me? I've read two 300-page books. What has happened? It's just amazing how a little bit every day adds up over time, and the Lord uses those books in a profound way to shape us, to shape what we, what we do and how we think. So let, let's make this year a year where we, do, we, we appropriately, not as an idol, but appropriately devote ourselves to God's Word and solid Christian books. Number four, Stephen had skill in apologetics, skill in apologetics. Look at Acts 6, verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. They disputed with his doctrine, what he was saying about Jesus. And look at verse 10 again. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, I'm, I'm just going to combine the next points together here, so for your, for your convenience. Verse 6, I mean, number 6, he also, Stephen, had a compassion, excuse me, number 5, Stephen had the face of an angel. Look at verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Would you turn with me again to the right to 1 Peter chapter 
3. 1 Peter chapter 3, towards the back of your New Testament. As you are turning there, I'm going to sort of put these two points together. So Stephen had skill in apologetics. You say, what does that mean? Apologetics just means how to defend your faith. You know how to put into words how to defend why you believe in Jesus. And listen, nobody is as good at that as we want to be, okay? Don't don't be intimidated by that. None of us is as good at that as we would like to probably be. But number two, it's not just apologetics. I don't know about you. you, When you think about apologetics, do you think about someone getting really red in the face and sweating profusely and screaming and getting mad and argumentative and everyone's mad at each other? Well, Stephen's enemies certainly were angry, angry enough to try to kill him, and they do. So that's true. But from Stephen's perspective, Stephen was doing apologetics like an angel, Stephen was doing his argumentation and his debate with love and grace and just this this calm peace in his face that was supernatural and inexplicable. And wouldn't it be amazing if we took the apologetic argument side where we're, we're, we're debating and we're discussing ideas and we combine that with a gracious, peaceful, loving disposition. Imagine those two things together. Uh, Stephen was doing apologetics like an angel, and 1 Peter 3 describes this very thing, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, like Stephen, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a, the Greek word, apologia, apologetic, a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with, what? Gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Why? So that when you are slandered like Stephen, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ Jesus may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. I'll stop there. So Peter says, listen, always be ready to give an apologetic, a defense of your faith, but do it with the demeanor of an angel. Do it with gentleness and respect, without any fear, with your hope in another world, with your hope in Jesus fixed fully on Him, so that when they slander you with lies about who you are that are simply untrue, there is an otherworldly response that they've never seen before. When have you ever seen someone slandered, lied about, taken to court, and about to be killed for something they did not do wrong, and in that moment, they have a gracious, joyful, serene look of peace on their face that kind of reminds me of Moses coming down the mountain with the glowing face from the glory of God. I mean, Stephen is sitting there beaming with a peace and joy in the face of his own death. Do you think that's going to do something to his lying slanderers? They know they're lying. They, they got people to lie about him. They, they, they found people to lie, just like they did with Jesus. And these people are lying through their teeth at, at Stephen. And Stephen's demeanor is so supernatural, you have to wonder, did some of their consciences get bothered and they knew that they were, that they were being put to shame in their own heart for the slander that they had presented uh, to Stephen? Turn, turn with me back to Acts chapter 6. 
Number, number six, Stephen had a compassion for his enemies. Uh, he prays for them and loves them even in his death, and we'll get to that in a couple of Sundays, so I won't linger there. And now my last section for today's message. What did Stephen receive? I've already mentioned it, but let's just walk through it. Look at chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. This is what this godly man received, false character attacks. Chapter 6, verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So number one, Stephen received false character attacks against him publicly in front of all these people. Now again, next week we'll cover this more, but you know, there, there was a grain of truth in what they said. That's how you get a lie to move, right? You've got to have a grain of truth that you build the lie off to make it sound more, you know, believable. Well, Stephen had said that the ultimate temple was not this building that they were standing next to or in. It was the Lord Jesus' body. Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days, Jesus said in John 2. And the law of Moses, was he going around saying, we don't have to obey? What he was saying was, Jesus has fulfilled the Mosaic law. It has been kept in Christ. And so, if we trust in Jesus, we are no longer bound by all that was there because Jesus has fulfilled it. We still obey, though, uh, the, 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 the commands to love our neighbor. And they took that and exploited it into he's blaspheming God and he's blaspheming the law of Moses. Let me just read, I won't make you turn there, another passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Jesus' words about persecution. Blessed are those who persecute, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then what is the next thing? You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Yes, you will be the salt and the light when you act like that. Can you imagine being in the room with Stephen? Seeing the look on his face, the love in his, in his eyes for these people who are speaking lies about him, and he's loving them and praying for them, my goodness, he is being a shining bright light in that moment. And there is salt, there is a, a graciousness seasoned with salt about his demeanor right there in front of them. Okay, so number one, Stephen received false character attacks. Number two, Stephen received a brutal and unjust Death, again, that will be in the sermon two Sundays from now, Lord willing, but he received a brutal and unjust death. And number three, he received a reception into heaven by Jesus 
himself. He received a reception into heaven by Jesus himself. Now, let me just tick through a few things. This is from Kevin DeYoung. Listen to the similarities between Stephen and Jesus, and I want to close with, with a word about the gospel. Number one, Kevin DeYoung writes, both Stephen and Jesus were put on trial before the same Sanhedrin, just a few months apart, right? Both Stephen and Jesus were accused by false witnesses. Number three, both Stephen and Jesus were accused of being against the temple. Let me just pause there. Try to give a modern example why that would be such a big deal, to say that the temple's purpose has reached its end in Jesus and that we're now going to Jesus. He's the true temple and the church is the true temple. Why would that be so provocative? We're Athens people here, okay? You ready? Sanford Stadium, I'm not trying to be silly, is the closest thing we have in our culture to a temple. It's the closest thing we got, where everybody comes together by the tens of thousands and I won't say worships, but yeah, I will. Anyway, so we, we, we come together. We, we go to the temple. And so here, here, is, here, is the, here is the important thing. Imagine you were part of a movement with 10,000 people, like a large chunk of Athens was on board with you. And you had started a large movement, and your goal was to shut down the Georgia football team. I'm not against Georgia football, everybody. Shut down the Georgia football team and to stop all meetings from happening uh, in, in Sanford Stadium. You're, you're basically going to say it's obsolete. It has served its purpose, and we are no longer going to make that the center of, of what we do uh, with UGA. It's just going to be over. Is that going to affect the city economically? Is that going to affect the school in terms of enrollment? Is that going to affect the entire attitude of everyone around you? You are going to be hated with a capital H, okay? And after you, your life is over. People are going to hunt you down. It might, you might have a Sanhedrin meeting before long. I don't know what will happen. It, it will not go well for you. So you understand, what Stephen and Jesus are saying is this massive economic place, this place where all this money comes in every year. I mean, enormous amounts of money. This is one of the wonders of the ancient world. We're saying this should no longer be the central hub of the Christian faith, that now it's going to be the temple is every local church, is a temple, that Christ is the true temple. That has served its purpose, and now we're moving on. Can you imagine how upsetting that would be to the Sanhedrin? What are you talking about? This is our source of income, revenue, power. Are you crazy? This is our religion. This is what we're all about. If you take this from us, you will ruin us. You will wreck our lives. So you can see how offensive that would have been to say. Number four, both Stephen and Jesus referenced the, uh, a, a temple made with hands. Number five, both Stephen and Jesus used the rather rare term of the Son of Man. Other than Jesus, it's very rarely used, but Stephen uses it like Jesus. Number six, both are charged with blasphemy. Number seven, both are questioned by the high priest. Number eight, both commit their spirit at death. Number nine, both cry out with a loud shout at death. And number 10, both intercede for their enemies. Are there some similarities between Stephen and Jesus? Yes. So, so here's how I want to close the sermon today. Luke is the author of Luke and Acts. He is intentionally telling the story of Stephen to remind us of the story of Jesus. It's obvious, right? It's so obvious. There's so many connections. So at the end, I want to say this. Stephen is not the ultimate hero here. Stephen knows that it is what Jesus has done before him that is why he is going to do what he is going to do. He is empowered by the Lord Jesus. He has been forgiven of many sins by that same Lord Jesus. He has repented of sin and put his faith in Jesus, the crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended Lord Jesus. 
He knows that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's about to see the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And as he faces his persecutors, he knows that what they believe about him is not nearly as important as what the triune God already says is true of him. He knows that in Christ he is accepted, he is chosen, he is forgiven. He is reconciled, he is adopted, he is loved, and he is saved by sheer grace in that Messiah. And so whatever human beings say, do, or think of him is nothing compared to what God has already declared to be true of him. God has declared him righteous in his son and saved in his salvation. And so Stephen can be filled with the Spirit. And can we just be honest? When we are filled with the Spirit, we really believe the promises of God in a different kind of way. Like it's one thing to mouth the promises of God. I know this is working for my good. Like, you know, Jerry's joking about the, the oil leak. You know, we all have our oil leak moments during the week. And we're, we say it works for our good, but we don't really believe it. But when the Spirit is filling us and we are walking deeply with the Lord, we really believe that God's opinion is more important than the opinions of people. And Stephen can sit there about to be murdered and stare at the most powerful people in his culture and say, I love you, I hope that you're forgiven, but I'm going to be with him, the God above. So before, before I close in prayer here, as you've heard all these different things that Stephen was, and it's a little bit overwhelming, is there a particular spot today in the message where you say, that really applies to my life in a unique way right now? I, I need to hear that point. T take a moment, even as we go to pray, I'm going to give you a moment of silence. Just talk to the Lord briefly about that singular issue that you think is most relevant to your life and speak to the Lord. Ask Him to give you grace to have more of that in your life so that we can follow in the footsteps of Stephen who followed so closely in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us to have or to be full of faith in you. Faith is a gift of God. And I, God, I pray that you would fill us with faith and confident trust in you and your word. Give us a hunger for your scripture. Give us a graciousness in evangelism and when we speak to defend our faith, gentleness and respect. God, help us to have, like Stephen, the face of an angel, to have a supernatural, different kind of demeanor that is not explicable apart from you in our life. And God, I pray that you would make us people full of grace and that there would be a graciousness and a wisdom that would mark us as we go about our lives and in the many areas where we fail to be like Stephen and more importantly like the Lord Jesus, forgive us. Give us the grace to turn from our sin on a daily basis and to live in a way that would honor you.
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.